Lebel to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Lebel just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome. Episode number 30. Hockey to hell and back. I'm Brady Leibold coming at you guys live from Gravenhurst, Ontario. Beautiful Muskoka. I've been on the outdoor rink a couple times in the last two days. Something I was never afforded growing up in BC. Maybe once or twice. And I think I fell through the lake most of the time trying it. So very lucky. Uh, had a couple, Met a couple new friends yesterday from Pursuit Hockey. They came up to interview me on their podcast, which was great. Shout out to them. Uh, we outfitted them in some puck support swag. You can see my sweater. It's okay to be not okay. You're damn right it is. You're damn right it is. I always try to pretend like I had it all figured out, all going on. Uh, you know, I play hockey. I'm tough. I'll fight anybody. But really, I was just fighting myself all those years until finally I just couldn't fight myself 
anymore. Thank you so much for joining us live on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. If you're listening after the fact, thank you so much. Uh, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. There's a couple things I need to cover before we get into the episode. First things first, this book right now, donated by Danny Probert and all the Probert kids, currently sits at $500. So thank you to everybody who's currently bidding on it to raise money for puck support. Thank you to Danny, Tierney, Declan, Brogan, and Jack. Thank you so much. It is signed by both Joe, Joey Kosher and the man himself, Bob Probert. So thank you guys. That money's going to go to a great cause. We are helping people deal with their mental health issues and their addictions in some case. And, you know, dealing with it in the hockey community, I mean, it's not easy. Let's be honest. It's stuff that most people don't want to talk about in the best of places. And, um, you know, from my experience in the past, you know, at least I didn't feel comfortable going into a coach's office or or to my teammates and saying, hey, you know, I'm not I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that or I'm going through this. It's so competitive, even within our own teams. I mean, it, it showing any sign of weakness. Uh, it's one thing to walk in with a cast on your wrist and be like, hey, coach, I got a broken hand because I just fought a guy last night and broke my hand. But if you go in there and say you got a broken head or a broken heart, it's completely different. And we're working to change that. Some very exciting news. I connected with Jordy Ben last night, brother of Jamie. I haven't spoken to Jamie uh, for a few years, but Jordy reminded me that he still loves me. So that felt good. Looking forward to get Jordy on the show very soon. He said he needs some Lulu time. Backstory. I was the like the first guy that anybody saw wear Lululemon pants. I took a lot of heat for it. So I got the nickname Lulu in junior. So they still call me that. And now they're all wearing Lululemon. And I'm not because I can't afford it. But hey. That's all right. I'll get back there. That's still my nickname. Thanks, Jord. I love you. Um, so good to see you doing so well with the Canucks. Um, really proud of you, man. What else? Got a meeting with Kelly Rudy on Tuesday. I'm excited for that. A uh, guy that I watched my entire life, uh, just like my guest that's about to come on. Wish me luck. Um, couple things. We're going to get to two sponsors. We'll deal with Team Issued first. They've been along since the third episode. Take it away. The best in the business, Regan Bartell. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan. I love that guy. I know I say it all the time. Shout out to Jesse Paradise, former Kelowna Rocket teammate. I always look the wrong way. Former Kelowna Rocket teammate, that's his company. It was my second ever guest and jumped on with a sponsorship right away. Thanks, Jess. I love you, man. He was just a young 16-year-old when I was 20, and uh, it's nice to see how far he's come. Very, very excited to announce this next partnership because it's brand new. It was just made official today. We didn't even have time to do a voiceover for it. But I think it's very, very important and something that I'm extremely proud to be a part of. And shout out to Curtis Gabriel, current 
San Jose Shark. He's he's in and out of the lineup. He's on the taxi squad. I'm rooting for him. Kurt, I love you, man. Uh, you're a huge inspiration. Thank you for this. Very excited to announce that Hockey to Hell and Back is now partnered with Pride Tape. PrideTape.com. At Pride Tape. Guys, it's all about equality here. It shows every player that, that belongs playing the sports they love that we're all on the same team. Buying Pride Tape will help support the LGBTQ youth outreach initiatives such as You Can Play and the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services. That means every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Be an ally. Show your support for your teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. That's what it's all about. So I made a uh, promise to Kurt Gabriel when he was on my podcast that from now on, I'm never going to play without pride tape on the knob of my stick. Much like him, I can't put it on the blade. I can't I can't go from white, even if I'm just coaching. But it will always be on the knob of my stick. They've, they're uh, sending me a big box. I'm going to be giving it away everywhere I go. And uh, something that I feel very good about Um we're gonna we're gonna change the world. There's no doubt. And uh, Curtis Gabriel leading the way in the hockey community, in my in my opinion. So thanks, Curtis. Thank you to everybody at Pride Tape. It's a huge honor. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. How many of you out there had the dream? to play in the NHL. I know I sure did. And I got close, but I never made it. A handful of exhibition games and training camp, but not making it to the show was something that hindered me for a long time. So much resentment, so much regret, it kept me ill for a long time. The what ifs. I'll tell you what I've learned a lot over the last year. Living with what if, in my mind all the time was no way to live. Recently, I found a whole new level of respect for those that not only make it to the NHL, but those that can stay there for a significant amount of time. Researching the numbers, the average length of an NHL career is four and a half years. If you look even deeper to the top 25% of players in the league, the average career is 12 years. So what do you say when you meet a guy that played 17 years in the NHL? Today, my guest played over 1,000 games in the show with a total of 1,055 and another 123 in the playoffs. Brian Smolinski was born in Toledo, Ohio, December 27, 1971. The last name Smolinski is Polish. Growing up as a Polish-American, the value of hard work was instilled into Brian at a very young age from his father, Tom. Brian Smolinski fell in love with the game of hockey, just like so many of us do. But growing up in Ohio, it was a little more difficult to find ice, but his family did everything they could to help pave the way for what would become an extremely successful NHL career. Tom Smolinski would go out of his way to make sure Brian would get to those ice rinks that did exist such as the Tam O'Shanter in Sylvania and the Ice House in Toledo. Brian started to really hit his stride and knew that he needed to face stronger competition. And if you want to become an elite hockey player in the United States of America, there's one place you go, Michigan. Traveling up and down that I-75, Smolinski eventually landed in Detroit, 
where we would play for the historic Little Caesars and met former Detroit Red Wing, Larry Johnston. It was Johnston who really taught Smolinski the art of positional play. Brian continued developing into an elite hockey player and eventually landed himself a Division I scholarship at the very prestigious Michigan State. And in his very first year, he captured the NCAA Division I title. During that season, Smolinski suited up for his native red, white, and blue for the first time, taking part in the World Junior Hockey Tournament. After winning the championship title, Smolinski was taken in the first round by the Boston Bruins in the 1990 NHL entry draft. Brian completed his degree four years at Michigan, earning the captaincy in his final year. That same year, he recorded 31 goals, 37 assists for 68 points in just 40 games. Being named to the All-CCHA First Team All-Star Team, and he was also recognized as an AHCA West First Team All-American. After tearing up the ranks of NCAA, it was time for Brian Smolinski to turn pro, joining the Boston Bruins at the end of the 92-93 season. He played his first full season in 93-94, recording 31 goals, 20 assists, and 51 points for the legendary black and gold. Smolinski parted ways with the Bruins after the 94-95 season and moved on to the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he was dealt to the New York Islanders. But not before crushing my heart and the entire nation of Canada when the United States defeated Canada in the World Cup of Hockey. Smolinski would go on to play for the Los Angeles Kings, becoming one of their assistant captains, before moving on to the Ottawa Senators, the Chicago Blackhawks, my hometown Vancouver Canucks, and finally the Montreal Canadiens. That may sound like a lot of teams, but think about it. 17 seasons, 17 seasons in the NHL. He would also go on to play in two more world championships and one more world cup for his red, white, and blue. Reaching the 1000th game mark is quite an accomplishment. What's really cool is on October 27th, 2007, while playing for the Montreal Canadiens, Brian Smolinski appeared in his 1,000th game against the same team that drafted him 21st overall back in the 1990 NHL entry draft, the Boston Bruins. In 2015, Smolinski was inducted into the National Polish-American Sports Hall of Fame. Side note, I do know a couple Polish words. I actually dated a couple of Polish girls over the years and took part in all of the family festivities around Christmas and Easter and all that comes with it. I love myself some borscht, and I love all the traditions. I may even hit him with a chest, yak shamash. And if he asks me in return, I can say, dobja, dobja. That's about all I know. Since his retirement from professional hockey, Smolinski has taken a position with the NHL and is currently the regional director in youth hockey and social impact. Taking on a position of that magnitude speaks volumes about Brian Smolinski and his love for hockey, and what he can do to influence it for the next generation of kids and fans. I'm excited to talk to him. There's so much to cover through his hockey career and what he's doing today. I cannot tell you how many times I watched this guy play a couple times live and even more on the television. And I even saw him live during an exhibition game before the World Cup of Hockey started when Canada defeated the Americans 3-1. to one back in 1996 at what was then called General Motors Place and was a brand new building in Vancouver. It was a pretty special night. I'll never forget it. 
Smolinski's incredibly successful career is a combination of hard work and determination. And I can't wait to hear from the man himself. So without further ado, guys, let's do it. Living in Bloomfield, Michigan, it's my pleasure to introduce to you guys, Brian Smoke Smolinski. I had to go there. No, I, buddy. I, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. What an intro. That was, um, man, I was like, man, my intro can't be that long. There's no way it could be that long. Yeah. But, and you threw the Polish Hall of Fame in there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Hey, do you speak it? Zero. You speak more Zero, Polish right? than I do. Yeah. There you, Gaja, go. Pusha, you know, you talk about your grandma and grandpa. And that's about it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. That's cool. Anyways, like that must have been a, a pretty cool experience, though, getting inducted in the, the national, you know, Polish Sports Hall of Fame. I mean, what an honor, right? Like, absolutely. They're crazy about their sports. They're crazy about their sports. They are crazy. And you wouldn't, you know, once you learn about it, as much as everyone says, you know, everyone's like, wow, there's a National Hall of Fame. It's right down in Mount Clemens, Michigan, which is only about eight minutes from here, seven miles. They have a huge building. They got a huge restaurant. And the place is beautiful. It's huge. And, you know, it's got a National Polish Hall of Fame on it. People, they, uh, they do a wonderful job inducting, uh, you know, the, the regular four sports. And then they have a few off, you know, off the cuff, like, uh, you know, rowing and karate and sword, you know, and sword fighting and, you know, any other bowling and, you know, auto racing. And it's just so fun to watch and see the nostalgia that's in there and, uh, you know, who is inducted and who isn't. So I'm, I'm with Carl Yastrzemski. I'm with Mike Ditka. Uh, you know, some other guys, nice. very cool. Joey Kosher's in there. So uh, I know you mentioned Joey in the book, uh, with, yeah. uh, with Proby and, um, what a wonderful gift that people are bidding on. So it's going to go to a great cause. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks for bringing that up. No I problem. mean, there's, there's so many things that I, I want to cover. Um, you know, I, I don't I really don't even know where to start, but I, I kind of have a question off the sure. hop is, you know, I know your, your son, He's uh, just going to, he's going to be going to RPI. It looks yep. like he's got his full ride scholar. He was drafted yeah. in Kingston. Uh, he was also drafted by Tri-City in the USHL. Did you ever, you know, yourself think about going the major junior route? And when it came to your son, was it always university and college? Uh, or did he really think about maybe going that OHL route? Uh, no, uh, you know, to, to start the first question, I always, um, you know, being in Detroit, you mentioned playing for Little Caesars and all that. All the tournaments and the best players were were in Ontario and Toronto. The Marlies, the Red Wings, uh, you know, back in the old Metro Toronto Junior or the Metro Toronto Hockey League. Uh, you know, you'd go up to Granby. We played in those, in those tournaments, so we we always took Quebec. But there was just you know that whole lifestyle was so cool. I'm like, wow, Major A. You know, they're unbelievable hockey players that come out of Major A. It was very much on my mind. I was probably that close to playing in Verdun. You okay. know, and for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Um, uh, you know, nobody in my family went to college. So being able to, you know, have both at your fingertips was was a little bit um, w w was great. Um, I had a little bit longer runway to kind of go with. And, and that's kind of what, what I wanted for my son if he was able to become, you know, become better than maybe get a scholarship, maybe go to Kingston. He was drafted. Very fortunate. It was a little odd, you know, because we're so far away from Kingston. I'm like, man, that's weird. They got seven, seven other players or, you know, teams around here. So uh, very fortunate to that. Cause I think, um, you know, when I talked to him, I was like, yeah, I go, I don't care what he does. As long as he has fun doing it. 
Yeah. And I think everyone, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are will, will say the same, but yeah, very fortunate. He's, uh, he got a full ride to RPI, uh, coach Dave Smith. They, they see something in him. Uh, so hopefully in the next you know, couple of years, he develops as a good young man and a good hockey player first, and then gets a first rate degree. I love, I love how you mentioned uh, develop into a good young man because that's so important. You know, like we, we focus so much on the hockey and, you know, hockey for all of us, whether it's 17 seasons in the NHL or, or just a short yeah. junior career, eventually, you know, someone's going to come and, and something's going to happen where you're not going to be able to play at that level anymore. And what you're left with is yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that's really it. And your family and who, whatever connections you've made. And if you're not a good person, I'll tell you what, firsthand, uh, it's pretty lonely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I, I crack. I was still talking to my wife and then she says, she goes, you know, they talk about your career and I'm like, yeah, it was, it was great. I go, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do until my life started, which was after hockey. You know, you don't know who you are until something's taken away from you. And then you're left with, you know, the person that you're talking, you're, you know, you're having those, those deep conversations in your head with yourself and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do, you know, and, and, you know, eventually took me into the, you know, to working with the national hockey league, which is, which has been a lot of fun and, and, uh, and to present day. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing, right? Like a lot of guys have a real hard time finding that after hockey, they're, they're lost. Yep. How soon after your retirement, did you move into that position with the NHL? That's, it was a while. And, and to that point right there, it was, you know, there were, a, there was a lot of, I wouldn't, wouldn't say depression, but it was just like, you know, you get up. I, I was fortunate to have kids. They were young enough where I was able to drive them to school and, you know, be not my day's done at 10 o'clock, you know, okay, what do I do? You know, from 10 to three, what do I do? You know, I, I worked out a lot, you know, we, we, we did a lot of lunches and, and, but then there was, you know, you get into the dog days of the winners and, you know, my son wanted to snowboard and they want to ski and we do a couple of hills here in Michigan and we do that. And then, but there were a lot of days where you just sit there bored, you know, you're just like, what am I doing? What am I going to do? Years, you know, did it for years. I've been working in this job for four years. So, you know, um, my youngest daughter's 10. So I've been retired for 10, 10 years. And, yeah. and, uh, so six years of trying to figure out what in the hell is my next life going to be? Well, it seems like you found it and, you know, <laughs> well, no, it's great. I mean, yeah. what better job could you have? And maybe we'll dive into what you're really doing there and, and what your job looks like here sure. in a little bit. But tell me about, tell me just a little bit about, we'll talk just a little bit about the hockey. I mean, we, I love to hear uh, stories and, you know, you were drafted by Boston. I'm actually in Susan Cook's house. I told you earlier, Harry Sinden's niece. And awesome. um, how much of a, how much did you ever meet Harry Sinden? And uh, was he around much then when you were there as a rookie? Yeah. yeah, he was, he was, you know, he was the GM when I, when, uh, when they drafted me in 90 and, um, you know, it wasn't like I saw him all the time in the hallway, but they were very much ready available. Um, you know, Tommy Johnson was there, uh, you know, big chief. Um, um, oh my God, I'm just losing, losing it. Cause, uh, there's so many old, old alumni and, and hall of famers that were there. Mr. Busick, you know, oh. he ran our tickets. I mean, chief Busick was the guy you went and saw about tickets. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to go heckle chief Busick for, for, for more tickets. You know, he's a hall of famer and he just kind of looks at me and he's like, I'll see what I can do, kid. I'll see what I can do. And you're just like, God, that's chief. You know, that's the man, you know, that guy's, he was an unbelievable Bruin, you know, and I was fortunate enough to play with Ray Bork, Adam Oates, Cam Neely, uh, you know, and the list goes on even just, 
you know, the, the lesser players, uh, you know, the first years, Glenn Murray was, uh, was a roommate of mine, Joseph Stumple, you know, Cam Stewart, you know, good, good Cambridge, Ontario guy. So went to Michigan, uh, just good, good guys. I think my first winger ever was Darren Kimball and Rosie Ruzica, Ruzica. <laughs> I mean, Darren Kimball, if you know, yeah, Darren was an absolute murderer, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, and he's telling me, give me the puck, get me the puck. I'm in the slot. I'm looking I'm like, okay, you know, no problem. And then he, he never played, you know, he played like two minutes. I'm like, we're, how, how am I supposed to get you the puck in here in the slot? <laughs> and you're not even on the ice. He's like, I was just kidding, kid. I was just kidding. I'm like, all right. You know, that was the first, I kind of figured out what his role was. I'm like, all right, all right. I get it. I know it. Yeah. You, you fight. Yeah. I'm like, and it's the hardest job I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's been a hot topic and we don't even have to go there too much today, but it's a great point. You know, a lot of people don't understand what, what a guy maybe like Bob Probert went through having to, you know, it's one thing to know that you're going to fight every day, but what about when you're, you're the big guy on the block and you have somebody coming for you every night and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of tireless nights. Uh, how much fighting did you do in your career? Did it happen? Did you ever have premeditated fights or did it just happen sort of when you just get that aggression? Yeah, the, the four or five or six of that might've got in. I'm, I'm, it might've been three. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't monsters. Um, they weren't premeditated. It wasn't like, you know, take the buckets off and go. I, if I was the guy fighting and you had to stick up for yourself and don't get me wrong. I mean, it was never, you know, there, you know, there, there were times you shit your pants, you know, I'm like, Jesus, you know, like, oh boy, yeah. you know, I, I'm not waking that guy up. You know, you got Peluso on one side, Randy McKay on the other side, and they're just, you know, they're freight training, you know, trying to run you and you're trying to hold them up and, and they're punching the back of the head. And I'm like, Jesus, are these guys going to kill me or, or, or what? But no, it was, uh, had a few, you know, some were just, you know, the GMs would come up to me like, dude, what took you so long to fight? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if I was supposed to fight. Was I supposed to fight? Am I not supposed to fight? But it was just, uh, that wasn't my role. Thank God. Yeah. And, and getting into that, finding your role. I, we talked about it briefly before we started finding your role in the NHL. Obviously you're a, uh, like a, you're a goal scorer in, in college you, and you ha you were a goal scorer in the NHL. Let's not kid ourselves, especially that first year. I mean, your rookie year, it was unbelievable coming out of college, uh, but trying to carve out that role to, to last 17 years is a yeah. very difficult thing. So what was it that, what, what do you credit uh, to, to lasting 17 years uh, in the NHL? You know, that's a great question. I appreciate that. It's, um, I, I think, you know, I, your roles evolve as you get older, you know, and, and you find finer things, you know, you've been five years in the league, you know, now it's eight, you know, now you start counting the years. You're like, okay, now it's nine, you know, you, you go in five, you now you're in one year spurts and, you know, I'm like, God, 10 years. It's great. You know, four or 500 games and poof, man, if I could just play another, another contract, you know, and, but it just keeps going. And I think the biggest thing I learned was I learned how to play my position early. I learned what was expected. Uh, I, I learned that, you know, it's not all about goal scoring. We, there are goal scorers on the team. And, and I had to, I had to be a little bit of both had to be, you know, responsibly defensively. And I had to, you know, chip in here and there. And some years were better than others. And, you know, and some, you know, but I was always, I always wanted to be that go-to guy in the defensive zone, whether it was taking the draw, uh, you know, whether it's being, you know, helping another centerman, you know, being the off wing, whatever, blocking the shot. I mean, those were the times that were like, that's what makes you win. Those are the yeah. things that make you win. Yeah. It makes you win as a team, but it makes yeah. you win as an individual as well. That's not Absolutely. because those are the things that most people, they either, they don't want to do, or they feel that, they shouldn't do because they, you know, I'm the goal scorer or whatever. And what I've, what I've really noticed is that 
when you're a goal scorer in, in even major junior or NCAA college, to be that elite goal scorer at the next level, it, it's really hard. So you better find out real quick uh, to, you know, different aspects of your game that you're going to bring on a nightly basis. Otherwise, yeah. your career is going to be short. Yep. No, it's a great point. And, you know, case in point, Stevie Y, you know, local guy, local here in Detroit. And, I mean, unreal to play against. So good. And, you know, when you say Stevie Y, I mean, everybody knows who that is. And, you know, to see his game transform and, you know, maybe he didn't get the 100 points every year, but then you watch him wasn't they were he'd only get 65 he'd only get 70 but they were the key points of every single game so you know yeah there was a fluff 50 out of there but watching him transform the game you know his game was you know like so anybody can do it yeah yeah that's a great point and and i mean i i could still remember watching well i remember watching you play uh you know especially when you went to vancouver and i was going to save that for later but how was yeah. your time in vancouver uh did you enjoy playing in the city what do you think of vancouver loved it i'm not i loved it you know there's there's a huge backstory to to how i got to to vancouver but to answer your question i mean that just traveling there through, you know, throughout my, you know, throughout my career, just being in Vancouver, you know, seeing the the passion that they had being on the West coast and, and, you know, they're, they're always the late game, you know, they always get the hot topic. They always get the hot stove afterwards, you know, you're always watching that. And, um, and then I was able to play on it and, and possibly make a run, you know, and they, and we were, we were good, you know, Louis was good. And, and unfortunately it wasn't there. I got to play with Trevor and Marcus Naslin and the great Sarah Brennan Morrison, you know, Beetle Biaxa was there and it was just, so much fun. Um, the story there was, I knew it, I was in Chicago and I knew at some point I was going to get traded because for, you know, that was the year that Kane and Taze were kind of slowly, slowly coming in the next year. Yeah. And they're, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, we, we don't really need you. I'm like, okay. All right. But we had just found out my wife's mom to so my mother-in-law had, uh, we, she just got diagnosed with lung cancer. So a little bit going through, yeah, it's going crazy. And, you know, mm -hmm obviously some family issues. And I, and all I asked was, can you just keep me on the East side? Just cause I know, you know, we got kids in school and you know, it's going to be hard. She's going back and forth. Cause you know, we obviously want to be with our family and for whatever reason it didn't work. Um, you know, Marcus came to me and he says, uh, after one of the games in Chicago and he says, Hey, uh, I think we're, we might be trading for it. And he says, don't, this is not going to happen. I don't want, I, it's just too far. This is as much as I want. And he goes, Oh no, no. You know, I told him the story and he says, no. And, and then of course, got more traction, you know, it's getting this, it's getting this, you know, a couple other teams came in, came in the mix, which were, you know, I think one might've been Detroit. The other one might've been Pittsburgh. I'm like, all right, now we're talking, you know, they're, they're listening. I'm like, I got, uh, and uh, nope, Vancouver, they gave up a, 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 I think a second rounder. And I says, Dale Talon was, he was the GM in Chicago. And I says, Dale, you know, that guy's never going to play. He's never playing or you're going to deal it to somebody else. And, I think he did you now five or six years later, but you know, I'm just like, Oh, but the best time in Vancouver, staying at the Sutton place, you know, got, you know, got a great place to live. You're always hitting sushi, you know, I was by myself oh, yeah. and, you know, I was able to get the family out, but the, the organization was absolutely first class, first class for me. I, I did. I wasn't even going to ask you, but I thought, do you, do you remember Hastings street at all? That uh, really well, no, no, you don't. You never saw it? Never saw it. Oh, you're lucky. You probably never went down the wrong way. You were downtown too. You're, did you practice at eight ranks back then? Uh, where did we practice? We, I think we rarely had, 
UBC we maybe. Yeah, it was always at the um we were always at the big rink and I think maybe twice we might have oh. been at eight rinks. Yeah, and I just jump in the car with somebody. So I mean it was I, I stayed, dude, I stayed within my kilometer. <laughs> yeah, well, every, that's the thing. Everything is there. Even There's yeah. even one place down there that there's a Starbucks kitty corner to each other. On one side, there's a Starbucks and then there's Starbucks okay. right there. Right. So it's crazy, but it's a beautiful city. And, you know, being on the ocean and, and everything else. And, yeah. and right here, to your point, man, the fans, the fans there are very loyal. They're very, they're very great. So you, you did the tour and, and I, I will never ask you, you know, where was your favorite place to play? Because it, all the memories are, are probably great. Yeah. Uh, not being able to win a Stanley Cup. I know I've read a few of your interviews and stuff. And that's a thing, right? Is you get close, you went to what, two conference finals? Yep. And, and, and then it's just Take so hard to get back there. People have no idea, and I don't either, what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and you know, playing seventeen years, I mean, was that was that hard for yeah. you? And like whatever, I, I don't want to ask like and make you bring okay. it up. But I, I've talked to you know, you see guys they play one year and they win a Stanley Cup yeah. and then they filter out of the league and they never play again. It's like what the like yeah. what like you know what I mean? So when you see a guy like you. Um, but you did get you did get the World Cup gold yeah. medal. That must have been pretty cool. You guys stuck it to Canada that year, and I was pissed. Yeah, a lot of people were pissed. You know, it was. But it, you know, to answer your question on the first one, yeah, I mean, it, it, listen, there, there. I still to this day, I'm like, oh, you know, I just, you know, I'm like, man, it was, I was so close, and you know, to relive the, you know, '95 in Pittsburgh. You know, we lost to Florida. You know, and listen, Florida did exactly what they had to do, and it was a, you know, game seven, home ice in Pittsburgh at the old Igloo, and just a little fluky goal. Tommy Fitzgerald, I can, I can see it. I can see it happening. Just kind of dips on Tommy Brasso, and you know, yeah, we, you know, we have such an elite team, and um, you know, it didn't work. And again, you fast forward, and, and then you're like, okay, I know I have time to get to another one. You know, there's always time. There's always time. And, you know, short, you know, five, you know, four or five short years later, I get a chance in Ottawa. Ottawa brings me in. We're going to try. And this is when they're bankrupt, by the way. They can't, yeah. they can't do anything. And I'm like, how the hell did I get traded here? <laughs> and unreal, unreal team, uh, you know, again, this close to the conference finals, game seven, home ice. We, I think we beat them that, you know, we, to, we had to get push game seven. We had an overtime, Chris Phillips, unreal overtime, game six. And it was just an errant play. I can see it. It's right there. Jeff Friesen, you know, just makes a little play and goes in and scores, you know, with three minutes to go in the game, you know, and you're like, you're just sitting there and that, and you kind of know, you're just like, Ooh, this, this really could be it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but no, never, never was close. You know, a couple second rounders, you know, second yeah. rounds, you know, game sevens, you just, you know, those, you just know, you just, you're getting beat by just two good at teams. You know, you, you, you're happy to be there, but the, you know, to, to circle back on the world cup was, I mean, talk about two, I would say every team in the world cup was just littered with unreal hockey players, you know, and I was just a filter, you know, we, you know, it was myself, Sean McEachern, Steve Conowalchuk, Brian Ralston was, was a younger guy. Um, uh, you know, Patty LaFontaine, you know, Hall of Famer was barely played. You know, he un he understood his role. You know, it, it was just it was just so much fun to watch those up and coming Americans take on the world, you know. And that was our, you know, my I was the 80. I was the 80. Mike Ruzioni, you know, running around, running on the skates in Lake Placid. And and we just happened to be that the 96 team for a lot of other, 
you know, American. So pretty cool to be a part of that. Yeah, and you're downplaying it. You had five assists in six games, so don't act like you were just running around <laughs> skating, doing nothing. So, I mean, you you contributed uh, obviously with five. We had assists. a good line. <laughs> we were good. Yeah. Monty okay. and Johnny O'Claire. I'm like, man, we're actually pretty good. And they put us out there. We'd we'd, we'd stir some shit up, and they couldn't handle us. And then you know the big boys would play, and then uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Speaking of the big boys, what what about the controversy back then with Brett Hall, Canada, United States? Do you remember that? Like, was who that should the he high stick? It, well, no, that too, but he remember before he was like, because he should have been playing, he could have played for Canada, he could have played oh, for the States, yeah, even yeah. maybe before yeah. that. It's like people were, were hating on him, but yeah, he ended up, there was something there with a the high stick. But tell me a little bit, I've never really asked anybody about Brett Hall, um, and I'll tell you a little backstory why why I'm interested is because he grew up playing with one of my mom's first cousins at North Shore Winter Club in Vancouver, North, North Vancouver. And he actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he went to the Penticton V's of the BCHL um, only to accompany one of his best friends to training camp. Like Brett Hall was apparently young and out of shape and everything else. And he went there just more or less to, to be with his friend, to, to make his friend feel comfortable. And he ended up making the team and his friend didn't. And he was, there's stories about him being pudgy and overweight and this, but how good was his shot really? Like, because. Oh my God. No, yeah. Like there, you know, there are shots and then there, you know, then they're just pure, absolute goal scorer shots, you know, totally different, you know, um, the way it, you know, he used to, and I, I don't, I only know him personally a little bit. Obviously I can go out and say hi to him, but I never played with him. So I, I only know, you know, when you're playing against him, you're like, you can't let him shoot, you know, Al McGinnis, you can't let that. You just can't let those guys shoot. And it's coming here. It's coming in your ear. It's not, you know, it's not coming low. I mean, it's, you better, when he's winding up, uh, you know, he was, he was deceivingly fast for a short little pudgy guy. And yeah, he was, he was never, you know, he was always that guy. You hear him and you, you see him and, you know, you're taking our showers and he's, and he's laughing at himself. So probably one of the most funniest guys. And, you know, he does not take himself serious. So when, when you, you know, you see him and his loud, his personality, it's, he wears it on his sleeve and that's yeah. what you love about him. Yeah. <laughs> well, th yeah. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. I mean, there's so many, you've played with, played with and against, you know, I mean, you played in the superstar era. Like that's really the, the, the superstar era. And you played with so many great players. And I, I always, you know, it's always tough to ask, you know, who the best player is uh, you played with or against, you know, Mario Wayne and, and that, but is there somebody, uh, and it can be one of them, but is there some guy that really stands out that you were like in awe of at, you know, multiple times or even just once? There are a lot of guys like that. Um, one guy that stands out, you know, and I saw him a lot. Um, there's there's two guys, you know, one guy got to play with, which was Jaeger. Yeah, Jaeger was, you know, and you don't not understand how big he is. Like when people, I'm like, no, no, he's six three. You know, I'm 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 a pretty good six one, two hundred ten. Like Jaeger is an absolute mountain. And when a guy can be that shifty and, you know, that nimble and almost, you know, it's almost like an autistic way that he plays hockey. He just, you're just like, how the hell did he just do that? And just the way he moves and the way he plays and you've seen in the highlights. I mean, Jesus, I, I think he's still playing in Slovakia. Yes. I just so, checked yesterday. To see that, it just tells you, you know, the level that he's at. Um, but the, probably my the coolest guy to watch. There's two, there's two more guys, Joe Sackick and Matt Sunday. You got, what do you got there? 
Oh, well, this is my claim to fame that I've busted out like every other podcast when anybody brings up Joe Sackick. We're both Swift Current Bronco Rookie of the Years. So that. that's, that's my that's you know, claim. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's like I'm, National Polish Hall of Fame. You know, that's that, that's, that's, that's it. That's it right there. So <laughs> when I go back to Swift Current, you know, I can go and look in the trophy case at the Rookie of the Year. Okay, Joe Sackick, and there's me. Yeah, cool. you know, but. But yeah, it's really cool. And uh, actually, and him and I were born in the same hospital as well um, in Burnaby. So it's kind of cool. And also Darren McCarty, who's become a good friend of mine. And uh, Darren McCarty always says, well, Sackett got all the skill and left it. (laughs) Yeah, they were twins. Yeah, they were twins. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think yeah. they both did okay for themselves, right? Yeah, I think they're oh, okay. For sure. <laughs> yeah. for sure. No, for sure. Uh, what's your best hockey memory, Smoke? Like, uh, oh. do you have one? I maybe I we talked about the World Cup, but is there is there maybe one that's you know maybe somebody that not like a, a win? Is there a, a maybe your one thousandth game, or is there a certain goal? Like, what what sticks out for you? Yeah, you know those are, those are all good. Um, and believe me, I can sit, I can lay down and be like, wow, you know that yeah, that was fun. I think just the fact that I think it's just the whole the whole story, you know, coming from Toledo, Ohio, you know, I, I think being drafted would probably be the best, you know, I, which I was drafted in 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 uh, Vancouver. You know, we we weren't, you know, we just like any hockey family, we weren't wealthy. We, you know, we're just blue collar workers, you know, and, and my parents were like, we need to be at the draft. You know, that was just like we need to be, you know, we were green. We, we, we were like rookies. My dad had no idea. He's on the phone all the time. You know, he's talking to agents and, you know, we had rotary phones back then. So it wasn't like we even had push buttons. So you know, to, to get, to get the, the phone, it took about a minute and a half to dial one, you know, four, one, six, you know, in Toronto, you know, it was, dad, who are you calling? I have no idea, but some guy called about you, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, so, you know, to, to see that, uh, just that whole encompassing story is the most fun you know to talk about because you know we 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 lived it we were able to we were able to fly to vancouver uh be in that draft and we you know i didn't know if i was gonna go you know 15 or 30th or 40th or you know i only did one interview which was boston and we actually introduced my mom as my agent we're like oh yeah here's our agent and they're like they looked at us like, really? Is you, you that that's your agent? We're like, no, it's my mom. <laughs> Mike Milbury was like, seriously? Like that's your agent? We're like, no, it's my mom. You know, they're like, oh, oh, Jesus. So we we actually had them about you know they're like, <laughs> so that was probably the funniest thing. And then uh, we were fortunate enough to to be drafted twenty one. Yeah, and and what an amazing accomplishment! But <clears throat> to actually you know break into the league is, is a whole nother story. And to your point, to go, to go back to the beginning, it's like how much do you think you know spending that four years in in college really prepared you for that game? Because people make the argument, okay, well, go major junior because it's a seventy two game schedule, it's a mini NHL. You know, you're playing a lot less games uh, in college university. But the thing that I notice is you're playing against men. You're playing yeah. against men. They're, some of them are 23, 24 years old. Absolutely. And the guy that we had, when I was 17, I mean, you, and you know this, you see it in minor hockey now. They, they're, they're like, they push you back now. They're like, we, we want you to be 18, 19. You know, RPI with my son, he's 17 now. And they're like, hey, we want you at 19, 20. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I get it. You know, uh, the average age of D1 Division one hockey guys, 20.6 years of age. Um, I went as a 17 year old into Michigan state. So they, Michigan state's like, we want you to skip your grade 11. I'm like, 
wait a minute, you want me to go to summer school and do all this and combine one year into, you know, two years into one. And just so I can get to Michigan state and play, they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, how the hell do I do that? You know, you know, my, we figured it out. We got it. And Ron Mason at Michigan state, God rest his soul was probably the best thing that happened to me because you, you combine all that. You, you get that runway of four, four and a half years, all the summers, all the training, you know, you get drafted. The draft was different back then. And I'm like, I won't be ready till I'm 21, 22. I knew, I knew that. I knew it. I knew, even though I was a first rounder, I knew I would have a better chance to maybe get a chance than maybe some other guys. But I'm just like, I'm, I'm not going to be ready until I'm 21. And I knew it. You know, you gain, you, you, you mature, you know, you become a man, you know, you, you, you have your fun. And I'm like, all right. And then you see what's going on in the, in the national hockey. I'm like, oh my God, I want to do that. That looks like fun. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Yeah, fortunate. 17 years of doing it. And I mean, when you when you reflect back on that, how much do you really do you can how much can you really take in and be like, wow, you know what? I'm really proud of myself. And and do you realize um how much sacrifice it took from the training and, and you know, adaptation of finding that role and doing whatever it takes? Because not everybody can do that smoke. I don't know. I, I don't I don't reflect much because it was, you know, everything's I think for us, it's more react, you know, listen, yeah. team, teams, team needs me to do this. Okay. I'll do it. You know, I, and I remember you said, you know, it, you, it was difficult to go into a coach's office and, and say, Hey, listen, man, I, I, what do you want me to do? You know, it, it, because they're old school. They're old school. They're like, just shut up and play, shut up and play, you know, and the new, the new athlete, the new player now is, is a thousand times different. So, you always had that, you know, bury it inside. Don't let anybody know you, you, whether you're hurt, whether you're this, you know, whether you're that, you know, there were a select few you, you could probably confide in maybe. And then other than that was just grind it. Just get out and grind, keep grinding, keep grinding, keep grinding. And thank God for my wife. And, you know, you start having children, you start growing, you start maturing and you see, see the lighter side of life. And you're like, okay, this is, I know what's important now. I knew my family was important, secondary, and you know, then it, then it was hockey. So I knew I knew what I had to concentrate on. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's really hard, and it goes back. I just did a podcast with uh, with Jayner and Matthew Arnone, who don't play hockey, but it was all based around you know mindfulness uh, and you know being able to to really find you know those things that are important to you and. And also going back to a podcast before that is being able to leave, you know, your game, you know, your, your job at the rink and, and yeah. leave the rink and, and, you know, enjoy life and not have to worry about stressing about, you know, the next game or how you played the night before. How much, uh, how much did you carry that home uh, in the early in your career uh, to later in your career? Were you somebody that, you know, would bring your game home and, and, and wear it on your sleeve? I think it, I think it evolved. I think when we're dumb and, you know, we're young, you know, 21 and 24, 25, 26, and you're running with the rookies and you're in Boston and you're hanging and you're having a good time. You get to go to the Boston Red Sox games. You get to do this, you get to do that. And we really enjoyed ourselves. And so, no, we, it was easy to leave the ring. It was easy to leave, you know, um, because you knew, you, you knew you only, you're only playing seven, eight minutes, you know, and, and that was, you know, because that was the old, the old school way. You're like, you're going to earn your time. You're a rookie. Sorry, man. You know, it wasn't until about the 30 game mark, you start evolving your game and you understand they know what you are. 
got to, you know, got to play a bit more, started scoring some goals. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I was able to draw that line when I, when I came home, wasn't good, the greatest all the time, but I would say I was pretty consistent at it. I, as soon as I left that rink, I would turn that switch off. I knew, I knew how to do it. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's a huge reason of why you lasted so long. I mean, obviously hard work and, and, and finding your role, but that's, that's really big because I feel, I feel that, you know, just from my little bit of experience of junior and pro, the stress of the game can, can, you know, I carried it everywhere. Like it, it almost killed me at times. And I've seen other guys that have had it even worse. And so I think that's really important, but going back to, you only play in seven and eight minutes, you scored 31 goals in your rookie year. So imagine if you would have played a regular shift (laughs) you would have had 60 probably. So that's kind of cool. But um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your transition out of hockey uh, a little bit more in your role with the NHL and, and how that all came about. If you don't mind sharing the story. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I think it was just before, so four years ago, you know, you're talking in that 15, 2015 year, you know, I have a very good friend, Matthew Schneider, who runs the PA. Uh, wow. Him and Don Fear, um, you know, he's one of the higher ups there and very good friends. We played on multiple teams together and our kids are about the same age. So, you know, he lived with me in LA and, you know, how he became, you know, first assistant into the, into the PA is beyond me. Um, I love the guy dearly, but I'll, I'll razz him the whole time, but uh, you know, he came and said, Hey, there's something coming in the pipeline between the NHL and the, and the, the players association about a job, you know, something's going on. And I said, he goes, would you be interested? He goes, I don't know what it is yet. I'm like, absolutely. Thank you. You know, thank you. You know, after interview, I have to do this. And, and, uh, you know, we actually went to dinner with Robbie Knezrick, who, who you yeah, emailed. I yeah. I would just talk yeah. about him. But, so Robbie yeah. has a former life, you know, he was, I think he, you know, he worked in the medical field or, or even, um, uh, not so much Matthew. There it is. Yeah, I have it written right. <laughs> yeah, Robbie K. And uh, Matthew knew him in Toronto. We went. You know, my son was playing a tournament up there. He goes, "Hey, come on, we're gonna go meet. We're gonna go meet this guy who's up for the the boss job." You know, I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." Hit it off, great, super guy. You know, talk, talked about his you know world travels. You know, lived in Australia, did a whole bunch of stuff. I think his big you know worked for pharma. So very neat guy. You know. Yeah, that's a good, good guy to talk to, you know, played in the O, you know, yep. success story out of the O went to, you know, went to the university, you know, used his, his education package to the fullest. And now is, is a, you know, is a big wig in our national hockey league. So, you know, that's how, uh, you know, we um, came into this role. There's another guy named Sean White, who I think played in, uh, played in the OHL, um, Matt Herr. Uh, he's, you know, he's another one. And then we have a, a fourth regional director, Manny Duhamel, who's in Calgary, you know, who came on uh, recently about two years ago. So we just, we run this, uh, you know, youth hockey, which is learn to play, you know, now it's first shift. And back then that's kind of why we were started to, to run the learn to plays, uh, throughout, uh, NHL markets. But now it's, you know, as any job, you know, now we've seen some tough times in national hockey, everything's evolving, you know, uh, now we got some great diversity and inclusion stuff. And so the NHL is doing its best to evolve and come to the times. Yeah. And, and you know what? I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I can look at all the sports. You can look anywhere and I feel there's always more we can do. But, you know, trying to navigate those waters is is sometimes difficult. And it's it's a process all the time. And I agree with you, though. I think there's been a there's been a lot of change and a lot of uh, almost people have woken up a little bit um, and, you know, getting back to, to Rob Knesserick. And I don't know if you know how much you know about the story, but so the reason how I know Rob and, and you know, I spoke to him one, the one day on the phone for close to an hour and I'll share the, the story for the listeners too, because they haven't heard this. And 
So I re- like I have no teeth. Like they come out and I just got them. Like I I was had no teeth for the last two years because I broke my plate and I was in a bad way. Like I broke. Like I was on government assistance. Right. You name it, right? And so, anyways, uh, this. Um, actually the shirt up here, the Marner shirt, there's an artist, Rob McDougall, who started to follow me and he did the Rock'em Sock'em covers for Don Cherry and he knows all everybody. And anyway, so he reached out to me and he said, Hey, like, I really want to help you get your teeth. And I'm like, what, why? <laughs> like, no, you, people don't do that, but which I found out they do. And, and it, so many people have done amazing things for me. And so he said to me, he's like, Hey, I want to, you know, I got a guy uh, and I can't use his name. Cause he's in the, he's wants to remain quiet, but he's like, I have a guy that wants to help pay for your teeth. And so he's like, you can find a dentist up there in, you know, in Muskoka, or you can come down here to Oakville. And something told me, something told me, I was like, you know what, go there, show up. This guy is going out of his way to, to do this for you. Go see his dentist and just show up and, and he's like, you can stay with me. I went down there. It took me like six or seven trips to finally get my teeth. And I went down there and me and Rob developed a McDougal uh, developed a relationship. And I went to his dentist, Dr. Brown in Oakville, who's unbelievable. And so Dr. Brown, after about the second or third visit of getting to know me and, and like, we had some really great chats and he's like, I have like one of my best friends, like, you got to meet this guy. I think he might be able to help you. And he didn't lead on to who he was. And then the next visit, he's like, I'm going to talk to my friend about you. And then on like the fifth visit, he's like, so my friend, Rob Knesserick, uh, <laughs> he's my best friend. Well, he works at the NHL and and I want to set up a, a phone call and get you guys introduced. And I think he was kind of seeing like really who I was and get right. to know me, of course, and rightfully so. And so, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the one day I get a phone call from, from Rob Knesserick and uh, I couldn't find who Rob Knesserick was because to have good luck spelling his last name if yeah. you've never seen yeah. it before. And so, you know, he told me the story and I was like, oh, he works at the NHL. And I like after I talked to Rob, I'm like, wow, if there's one guy that can really help this cause like this is the guy. It's like and, and what an amazing guy. And so fast forward the story about, I don't know, 10 days ago, I was sitting in this seat exactly doing some editing and through the puck support website chat, I get a I get a message. Um you know, hi, my name is Brian Smolinski. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, message, and I'm like looking at it, and I'm I was on my phone, and I'm like Brian Smolinski. There's only one Brian Smolinski. <laughs> this can't be the Brian yeah. Smolinski that played in the NHL my entire life. There's no way. And uh, I almost fell off my chair. And he's like, yeah, and you, and obviously Rob put you, put you, push me, uh, push you towards my direction. And for that, I'm so grateful. And actually, I'm going back down uh, to Oakville here. Uh, I think in three weeks or two and a half weeks. And uh, I believe Dr. Brown and Rob and I are going to get together and sit down and chat. And so what an amazing, what an amazing guy, like the whole story, the both Rob's Dr. Brown uh, and Raymond Salinas, another guy who pitched in some money. And then the also quiet guy who doesn't want to be named, but for that, I'm so grateful. And I'm still learning how to talk with these. (laughs) I know. Look at that. I know. (laughs) Do you have any more? Fake ones or are those all your real teeth? Oh, these are all fake. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, they're half. They're like half these. You could probably see them. I think I got them done in like '97, and I'm just waiting for them to just kind of crumble off. But they're 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 still going. They're still yeah. Going. Well, hey, I'm, I'm sure you got good benefits working for the NHL now and, and insurance, so you're probably all right. Um, what's your what's your main objective through that? That program, I know you mentioned learn to play, but when you wake up, what does your job look like? What what kind of tasks uh, does Brian Smolinski have on his plate with this job for well, learn to play? Yeah, well, I mean, being with COVID now, you know, obviously we're, we're a lot of virtual, um, but we, 
you know, we work with all the teams um, directly. Uh, I have a region. So my, my region right now is um, uh, Chicago, Detroit, Columbus. No, I mean, I, I got to actually do the, the thing. Columbus, I get Tampa, Florida, Carolina, Boston, Philadelphia, and, and Buffalo. And we work, you know, right out of the gate with learn to play. We make sure that, you know, you know they're doing it right. But, you know, at the same time, they, they have infrastructure, you know, they're doing community events, you know, uh, obviously trying to grow their game in each market, you know, whether it be, you know, ball hockey on ice, off ice stuff. So we're, they have wonderful programs and every market's different. You know, there's, there's four regions and everyone does it and, and 31 teams do it entirely different. So a lot of, con- you know, a lot of the same conversations you have, you got to have it nine different ways. Cause got, cause I work with nine teams, you know, let alone 26, there's 26 us teams. And then, you know, there's Canadian teams. They do it totally different because everybody in Canada plays hockey, so to speak, you know, but um, it, it, it's a lot of fun because you get to, you get to meet people that, you know, are behind the scenes. I mean, these are the people that are running the events outside. They're running the summer camps, you know, they're running, the ball and street stuff, you know, they're getting the, you know, the kids to come in and play the games. They're getting the girls to come to, you know, I yes. mean, what an unbelievable job to see, you know, females playing hockey right now. The, the, the percentage of girls playing is just astronomical, you know, what a great way to do that. So, you know, long, we see youth participation, you know, we want to make it a great family experience and, and these are all what the teams are doing. And along, along the lines, we're just trying to create fans. You know, yeah. we have great leadership at the NHL. Kim Davis runs our runs our program. You know, I think Gary Bettman's done a great job. It's hard to say, you know, everyone boos Gary, but he's been an, an inspiration. He's doing a great job trying to get the fans back and trying to keep our game going. So, you know, a game that's given me so much, you know, and and uh, to to do what I do, uh, you know, to align ourselves with, with uh, being able to stay in the game, not necessarily day-to-day operations or trying to, you know, get the next star playing hockey. These, these are just little kids. You know, we want, we want all forms of hockey and we want everyone playing it. <laughs> that's a, Yeah. And honestly, you know, and that's the thing, right? It's not about how much of it you just said. It's like not looking for that star, but if you don't have these programs in place, maybe, it, maybe a star is never born. And that's the way that I look at it. And I want to kind of circle back to the women's side, and I've talked about this a couple times, but I'll tell you what, man, that Kendall Coyne, when she skated in that fastest skater, yeah. I still watch that, and I'm like, man, I I would not be want to be one of those guys on that bench, even being one of the best players in the league, having to follow that up, because oh that was incredible. Yeah. How much do you think that really changed things uh, for the people? Because I, I give her so much credit. I mean, there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit, a lot of great women hockey, women hockey players, but for her to step up and perform at that level, the very first event, and do so well. Yep. And from what I've heard, she's just an incredible young lady giving back in the communities, which is huge. And I think that maybe even goes even further. But how much do you think that really helped the game of hockey? Uh, immensely. Uh, that's a great point. I think, um, you know, a lot of backstory to that is, you know, I think at one point they just wanted the, the, the girls to come in and test all that stuff. You know, they want, you know, they, I think it was in San Jose, I believe. And they're like, Hey, look, let's get, the, I think they brought in the four Canadian women and the, and the U S and they brought all the Olympians and, and they were like, Hey, let's go in and test it. And then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, would it, would we be able to get them into the event? And I think it took a, you know, a 11th hour, two hour phone call, maybe two or three in the morning, I think between the NHL and the PA and which was fantastic. I'm glad they do it. I'm glad they did do it because that sparked 
that was a, that was the female 80 Olympic. You know, I think that just put the females really on the map, threw a dart, put them on, put them on the map, and now look where they are now. You know, they're they're fighting for, you know, they're getting their unionized, they're fighting for new leagues, they're trying to, you know, obviously doing a thing. And speaking of Kendall, she is hired by the Blackhawks. She runs yep. Kendall, you know, the um, the Golden Coins in Chicago. So she does unreal stuff in the community whether it's you know uh the female side the uh, you know the the inner city side so she just is a wonderful ambassador for for our game yeah and i kind of want to touch on something it's is we have um you know we have this puck support warrior campaign going on there's a young there's actually a young girl who's a, a she's just a terrific young goalie she's nine she plays with the boys and she's honestly like i watch her and the and i've met her parents and stuff like we sat had a meeting and and did all that with uh with a couple of the people that are involved here and and just incredible. So she works with with Kendall and, you know, she knows Kendall and, and a few of these uh, women as well. And um, she's they're the, really the ones that told me how an unbelievable Kendall Coyne really is. But I said to her, her name is uh, Abby. And I said to Abby, I said, listen, I said, you know, you may be the first female to ever play in the NHL because if somebody could do it, it could be you as a goalie. Sure. That may be the one position that girls could really break into the NHL. Do you think how do you like I really believe that girls should be. Like if you if you think you can do it, especially in the goalie position, or do you think girls should be focusing on trying to grow the, grow the girls' side of the game? Oh man, that's a that's a, a good loaded question. question. Yeah, that's, that's a, a loaded, loaded question. question. Um, You're welcome. I know they. I was <laughs> listen. I was fortunate to be in Boston when Manoa Realm was was playing, and she yeah. was awesome. Listen, I, I scored on her, so I was happy about that. You know, like, and she's really good. I'm, I, I think at some point there will be a place for them in the National Hockey. I'm hoping. You know, when that comes, uh, you know, it's a tough game. It, it is. And don't get yeah. me wrong. They, you know, they need their league as well. I think there yeah. are some awesome, awesome female hockey players out there. And to say that they can't play in the National Hockey League would be would be silly for me because I, I believe it's going to happen. You know, yeah. whether it's a contract or, you know, to come in and be uh, sustainable, being an everyday player. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, I agree with you 100%. And I, oh, before I forget, and this is kind of off topic, but I have to do this because of all my concussions. And I don't know how many concussions you had over 17 <laughs> years, but I just, I forget, I forget stuff. And I don't know if it's the concussions mixed with all the other stuff <laughs> I was doing, probably a combination. Um, what's your take? And this is totally off topic. USHL versus the North American Hockey League. I need to know because I've never seen, I've never even seen one, one of the games of either league. And sure. uh, is it comparable? Are they the same? And would you, how far off are they to say the OHL or WHL? I think they're on par um, yeah. as much as on par. I think that, you know, the, uh, you, I think the USHL and the BCHL are very, very similar, you know, are almost yeah. identical. Um, so, but I think it's all on par. Um, I, I think North American, my son's in the North American Lynx playing in Johnstown. So, yeah. you know, who that's where uh, Slapshot was invented or, <laughs> or, or filmed, you know? So, I said to him, I said, if you can make it out of Charlestown, he says, buddy, you can make it anywhere, you know, uh, and, he, and he loved that. But uh, North American League, um, maybe just a step step below, not so much in – I think it's just as fast as the USHL. I think it's, you know, uh, guys are just as big and they play just as hard. Skill-wise, it's just, it's just a little bit – it's a little bit less. USHL is, is the top-tiered league, you know, in, in, in America. So, you know, all those guys – I would say on every team, you know, he's got a D1 scholarship. You're going there to play elite hockey, you know, at your, you know, because they, you're allowed to be 1920. 
very yeah. much like all the other leagues. So that's where that's where the D1 teams want you to go to hone your skills. You know, you, you know, yes, you can do it out of the North American League, but if you want to be, you know, you want to be at the best, the top of your game, the USHL would be the best place to be. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thanks for answering that. And I just I had to jump on it because I always there's always a few questions. I'm like, oh, I forgot to ask that. I need to know that. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for answering that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think about you know your son. He's he's 17. So when you know you're retired 10 years, so he would have been seven, I guess, when you retired. Mm-hmm. How much was he in the dressing room and stuff with you? Did you bring him to the rink a lot? I I brought him as much as I could. And my last yeah. year in Montreal. I think he was, uh, so that would have been, you know, 70s, five or six, you know, just in first kindergarten or first grade. And I had him there as much as I possibly could. And, but I had to ask first, I mean, you know, it's the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, you just don't bring in your kid, you know, I'm like, do I, Hey man, can I bring in my kid? You know, just, I don't want him to mess up anything. You know, I, and they're like, Oh my God, they were loving it. They, they loved it. He had his own stall. Um, you know, he, he got to put his little skates, you know, skates are this big and, you know, he got to put him, I had his own little nameplate. So, uh, very, very cool. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, my, he has an older daughter, an older sister who my oldest daughter's 20. She's at Michigan state. So she's following in my wife and I's footsteps. So, and then he has two younger sisters, 14 and 10, and, you know, all four of them are opposites as they come um but they when you put them together it is just an absolute shit show (laughs) (laughs) hey it's a joy it's a joy of parenting absolutely absolutely you were there you were there with carrie price for a bit no carrie was a rookie he was a rookie okay yeah yeah. so i did you how how good was he like i played against him i played with him in team bc and i tell this story a couple of them like i didn't even score on this guy in practice he was so good so good he was so good i i was I was like, I see what they see. I'm like, you know, they got rid, you know, Cristobal Huey was our goalie, you know, um, and our, and Carrie was there and Euro Halak was our, was kind of the third backup. So it yeah. wasn't like we had, we had slouches, you know, they were, they were all three of them were really, really good. And, uh, you know, they saw Carrie play. He, he had a great first part of the year and I think he had a great year, uh, first half in Hamilton and they brought him up and, He's been carry ever since, and and he was fantastic. I mean, it's a, it's a lot to put on a 19 year old. You know, we're first in the East, you know, and and you're going to ride us through the playoffs. So I was, um, you know, that was a lot to deal with. Carry did a great job. Yeah, and and yeah, he's turned into you know. I think he does a lot in in the community. Yeah, and, and I know his wife does too. And it's really nice to see when guys do that. Uh, how much how much volunteer work did you do while you were in the NHL? Is there is there a lot of great opportunities that come in, and is it something that you still have an opportunity to do? Because I know when I played hockey, even a junior in the minor pro level, I always I was one of the guys that like I looked forward to the yeah. when the sheet went up on the on the you know on the board or whatever, and I missed that. And it's like you know I. I want to go out and volunteer, but it was, I'll be honest, it was a lot easier when it's like, hey, be here then and come yeah. to the rink then and do that now. But, you know, is that something that you look forward to? And, and is it something that you still get a chance to do? Yeah, I did. I, you know, early, early, you know, there's, you know, guys have rules you, you got to do appearances and all that. It's the PA, NHL rule. And, and th- there were a lot of fun, you know, whether it was a golf tournament, whether, you know, hospital visits and all that, you know, for, for Christmas, those are, those are always, they're fun and taxing at the same time, you know, because, yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're walking in with 
jerseys and people are struggling in the hospital. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to shed some light on them for a few days or for a few, you know, a few moments. And yeah, you know, whether, you know, a couple autographs, a little bit more impactful when they know who you are, you know, we're in LA and you're walking Cedar Sinai. Nobody knows who you are. You know, nobody knows, nobody cares. You're in LA King jersey, but we, you know, the, the, you know what you're doing, but we yeah. do our best. We do our best, you know, we, whether it's donations or, or things of that nature, you know, we, we, our kids are involved in, you know, Catholic schools and all that. Okay. So they're always, you know, they're doing the yard cleanups and they're, they always got lots of stuff rolling around. So everybody's familiar with volunteering their time. That's amazing. And I think that's a really great, I'm glad that you brought up your kids. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people that I grew up with, they, you know, they, they weren't really instilled with these, the value of service work yeah. and, and giving back without expecting anything in return. And it's so rewarding. Like it's very rewarding. And I think, you know, when we can, when you get past, it's like, well, what's in it for me? Well, when you can drop that, you realize that there's something bigger out there. And, you know, when you're giving something, you know, joy to somebody else, you find right. out real quick how, how much it makes you feel good too. And it, it's pretty amazing. We have a couple of questions coming in that sure. have been coming, if you don't mind answering. And I'd love it. One from my, my buddy Lucas says, thank you for doing this smoke. Who was your favorite player? Um, you know, growing up, someone you modeled your game after. My favorite player, and I was fortunate enough to get him as a coach, was Kirk Muller. Loved the way Kirky played. Okay. Uh, good Kingston guy, and um, you know had and another guy was was Geek Carbono. You know, which okay. I had them both as coaches in Montreal. Didn't you know? Obviously, didn't foresee that happening, but played against Geek my you know my whole career. And and Kirky when he you know he was in Montreal was the captain and just just loved the way that he played the game. Yeah, anyway, I tried to emulate that. Yeah, actually, because, you know, he never really played in Vancouver. He's somebody that I actually strongly dislike, but for the right reasons, because <laughs> he played a hard-nosed game and was that guy, and he just always seemed to, like, he, he was always on the score sheet and a pain in the thorn, like, inside yeah, of uh, the opposing team. So, you know, when you're doing that, you know, you're doing something right. Uh, he says, hot seat question, who was your favorite player to play with? Did you have a line mate that you really connected with? Oh man. Yeah. There was, I mean, my star star moment would be playing with Cam Neely and Adam Oates. Adam Oates, um, Cam, I think hurt his knee one time. And so they, you know, I was kind of scoring my first two years and they're like, Hey, you're going to be little Cam. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. You know? Um, (laughs) but Oatsy was, was probably probably the first guy that taught, that taught me how to really play the game, you know, getting spots, fine holes, fine seams, you know, and, and then just visually watching him, was what allowed me, you know, which probably was one of the you know cornerstones of playing so long. You know, he, you know, he was just, he was so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for sharing that. It's always, it's hard to, I mean, I know even for me, if someone says like, who's the, your favorite player you played with? It's like, I didn't even play close to 17 years in the NHL and I can't even do it. And I'm just thinking like, dude, I'm like, Oh, this, I'm like, Oh, so I go there. So <laughs> he says, uh, amazing. Thanks for answering that. Thank uh, Rick, thanks wants to know did you ever borrow one of placanic's turtlenecks oh my god i i think i did early not his but we tried the turtlenecks back in like the night because mario was wearing them and i got to play in pittsburgh you know you know got you know he just came back from hodgkins and he had these turtlenecks i'm like man i wonder if there's something to those turtlenecks and i think after the third time i'm like oh god i can't i can't wear these things so to see thomas's thomas was a great guy what an awesome awesome teammate um he's had a great career uh, love, I love being his teammate, but not too many guys can wear that Canadian turtleneck. So, and he, and he did it well. 
Yeah, he did. He, he was a great, yeah, he was a great player and, and someone that uh, was in that organization for a long time. Uh, Will McIntyre says March 5th, 2004. How was the room after the brawl in Philly? Also, what was it like <laughs> playing with Lillian? Yeah. Oh my God. Patty, Patty was awesome. Um, you know, when I got to Ottawa, he, you know, he, he was the big goal, you know, he was the guy and just a, just a great French guy, just happy go lucky, always happy. You know, he wasn't that typical, you know, uh, crazy goalie. He was just, he was just happy to be there as skinny as can be like a string beam. So Patty was awesome. Uh, great teammate got to play with him in Chicago as well. So got to have him twice. And, and, um, let's see the brawl in Philly. My God, I think we, I think how that started and not too many people know this is prior to that broad, which I believe was maybe kind of a February ish. We, we didn't see him for like 40 days. We were in Ottawa and Marty Havlet. something happened to Marty Havlet where he was right by the bench and he kicked, he actually kicked somebody in the chest with his skate. Oh and I'm like, you're, you're like, I'm like, did he just, did, did he just really do that? And then it was kind of towards the end of the game and we had beat, we, we beat Philly and they were going ape shit. Like, and then it was like, you know, we had played the rest, you know, the rest of 30 days. And then that game, you could just tell that game was circled by Philly. And we knew going in there that it was going to be, I didn't think it was going to be that crazy, but it it, it got to be crazy. And I'm the one who fought Mark Recchi. So I fight Recchi and it was, just, he goes and hammers somebody and I'm skating this way. He's skating this way. And he just looks at me and I'm like, Oh God, I got to fight Recchi. You know, like, here we go right at center ice. And, and, and we went, but after the room in the room, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I think I was one of the last fights. So there, I think I'm skating by the bench. There only was five guys on the bench. I'm like, <laughs> and, and, you know, Marty was, I think they just put Marty Havlet in the box. He, Marty, you're never coming out because there's somebody's going to kill you. And, <laughs> and then we, you know, we finished the game. Spez fought, um, um, Patty Sharp. Great. Sales, Cause I was Spez, Jason Spez's first year. So yeah. it was just one of those, you know, wasn't it wasn't it was just one of those crazy crazy brawls that i was fortunate enough to be in and and didn't die i <laughs> put it that way <laughs> hey, yeah well and it's a, obviously a fun memory because i guess absolutely see um there's i'll get to one more question here lucas has one uh for you it says can you explain in your own words what it was like playing in the battle of ontario oh man that was um that was it was heavy like that was a lot of heavy games um you didn't, you, you, you left one of those games, you know, Ottawa, Toronto, and you're, you're beat. Like yeah. you're just, you're just spent. You're like, you know, the, of course the games, you know, the time leading up to it, you know, there's so many media and, you know, ba- you know, battle Ontario, whether it was in Toronto, whether it was in Ottawa, it was just, you were just spent, you know, and, and you, you fed off it a lot because, you know, you know, it's always going to be a fun game and, uh, it, and it was always spirited and, um, but yeah, no, um, uh, I love playing in the ACC against Toronto. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, no kidding. I, I couldn't imagine. Did you get a chance? You would have played in Maple Leaf Gardens. I did. I did. I was fortunate enough to play in all the originals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is, there, is there a rink that stands out as your favorite to play in, uh, like, you know, on the road? And oh, one that you oh, man. I, I would say a lot. Of, you know, old Montreal Forum, fan, uh, unreal. Uh, I got to get into Winnipeg. So the old, the old barn in Winnipeg saw that, um, I got to play in the cow palace in San Jose and played in the Thunderdome in Tampa. So it was the baseball <laughs> to play the baseball, but 
Chicago Stadium, Toronto, yeah. Boston, you know, uh, MSG and Montreal, obviously the originals were amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. No kidding, eh? Like when I, I can imagine when you, you step out on the ice and your first game against the Detroit Red Wings and seeing those jerseys or the Rangers or even where you know you're in you're you're on an original six, you know, in putting on that Boston Bruins yeah. jersey, like how that must have been pretty cool, man. Like very cool. It, it was it was so cool because you know that was that was my first team. You know, always have that first love and and go back and have a lot of memories there. And and you know the cool part is I got I got four really good friends that that's where we started all of us played long we all had you know great you know solid careers and and uh it was just it was just a lot of fun yeah and and very lucky uh but again it comes with it's not all luck when you play 17 years man there's just no way um and you got to be very proud of proud of yourself for all those accomplishments stanley cup or no stanley cup man i swear to god and no and i hate to bring it up again it's true okay. you, you should really you should really uh Look at yourself in the mirror and be like, man, like, that's pretty awesome. 17 years in the <laughs> NHL. Uh, honestly, give yourselves a credit. Not to yeah, feed your I'm not, I appreciate it. Yeah. But, I'm like, going to do that tonight. I'm doing that yeah, tonight. I'm just going to Make sure you there. do. Make sure you do. And you'll be surprised how good that feels. You know, you deserve some credit. And, you know, oh, and then also, you. obviously, you're doing a great job with your kids, too. And I think that goes even further than that. And you talked about your wife. And uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, so she's, she was with you from for a long time during your career. And, yeah. you know, that's a thankless job sometimes. Uh, it can be, uh, you know, be having to, you know, deal with the travel and the kids and you're not there and the napping during the day and all that. So, uh, you know, kudos to her and, you Thank know, you. all the hockey wives out there, really. I mean, it's uh, what I did find out, though, is that, you know, at the NHL level, like during the playoffs, is it true that a lot of the teams, they, you know, they'll send the wives flowers and stuff, or is this new? Like, do they take care of the wives during the playoffs? Because I heard some team, like, they, they do little things like that for wives and girlfriends. And Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, some teams will. You know, some, I, before, you know, you know, kind of the older, we call it the old guard, the old league, man, they, they really didn't care much. You know, you could tell the good, the good organizations from the not-so-good organizations. You know, that was easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, some, you know, you know, some were stingy, some weren't, some used the bottom line, some didn't, but I think mostly now, you, you know, that's the new, the new era kind of a thing, you know, everyone starts, you get those guys that, you know, can come out of their careers and they knew what was good. And they're like, you know what, God, let's do something for the wives. You know, you, they do have the wives trip. You do have that, but we, we don't know what they got to go through. You know, guys get to go on the, in the hotels for games and do that. And they, you know, they part ways with the family for, you know, the better part of two months, you know, if you can get the longevity in the playoffs and, you know, they're home with the kids and doing all that. So yeah, just it, it's some of that stuff is just little, yeah. Flowers or, you know, whether it's, they get, you know, valets to park their cars, just simple, simple stuff so that their lives are less stressful. Yeah. And that's a, you know, it makes sense. And it's, uh, yeah. it's nice to, it's nice to hear that, you know, it's most teams uh, do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm going to let you, I'll let you go. Cause I know you're busy and stuff, but there is the one last question that I, I want to do. I do want to get this on uh, now there. Uh, there's actually two that I see. Cause now I need to know too. So quickly, <laughs> Will Matt, who was the guy that helped you most get accustomed to the pro life? You know what? That, um, you know, I, I talked about him before. Uh, Ad, it was Adam Oates, Adam Oates. You know, and it was, you know, you get to, he, he picked me to room with him, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting, sitting there, you know, we're doing our stretching and, 
you know, Tommy McVie would go around and be like, you know, he had this deep voice, hey, okay, who wants to room with who, you know, we're in, you know, beginning of the year and, you know, he would obviously go to the big boys, you know, Ray Bork had to go first, Cam and then Otzi and Otzi, here they go. And he kind of looks, he goes, I'll take you. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I get the room with Otzi, you know, and you walk in the room and being a good rookie, I'm like, you just tell me where you want. You tell me where you want the remote. You tell me what you need. I'll pull your covers down. I'll do whatever you need. You know, <laughs> do you, do you, what time do you want to go to bed? Where do you want to eat? You know, do you want to even eat with me? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and he was as gracious as they come. Um, you know, and I, the one piece of advice he said, he says, you know, Smoke, he goes, hopefully you're going to do this, what I'm doing. You're going to do this for somebody else, you know, and, I, and I'm like, God, man, I just I just hope I play 100 games. You know, I'm just like, you know, because we were in that mindset. You didn't know you could be there one day, gone the next, could have been minors, you know, and Boston was known for that. And and uh, fortunately, I was I was able to do that. You know, I was able to see some, you know, young player. I got to be, you know, rookie. And I, and I told him the exact same story. I remember with Adam Oates. Oates, he taught me this, told me to do that. I have to tell you this. And he's like, no way, no way. And he's he's still playing right now. He's still playing for the for the Leafs. Uh, he had a hat trick last week, and he's okay, a, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great veteran, and I'm happy to see that he's able to possibly maybe win it this year. Yeah, and it's interesting that you said it because when you mentioned about his first fight there, and I was gonna, I didn't know that, and I was gonna ask you and, and say like, you know, it's really nice to see him. Uh, performing well and he's he's scoring beauty goals like he's a rookie again like he's got those legs so it's really nice to see it and another guy that i've heard is amazing so thanks for that last number why do you wear or question why do you wear number 21 21 21. what's that yeah 20 for a while 20 for a while and then a couple of the teams some of the 20s were retired so i really couldn't you really couldn't couldn't pull them out of the rafters and then i think when i got to la luke robitaille was 20 and i knew i knew it wasn't getting that um (laughs) So the next number would be 21 because it was only, it was available. And my best buddy, who's Wes McCauley, who was the ref, uh, he wore 21. You know, I'm like, you know what? Wes had 21, I'll wear 21. You know, it it was pretty cool. So that that might be one of, I guess you might want to, you might want to tap into. Wes is a funny, funny guy. Yeah, and what story, man, he would have so many great stories. Oh. Uh, unreal. Hey, man, listen, um, hopefully we can connect again and, and do this because now that I'm th- sitting here thinking I have a million questions I want to ask you, uh, but I, I re- listen, from the bottom of my heart, I, I truly, truly appreciate you reaching out to me, um, agreeing to come on the podcast. It's been a really rough go the last 10 years. This last year has been fantastic, and this is just another uh, just a highlight, man. I watched you play a lot, uh, a well, lot. Thank you. Like, you know, I, I followed hockey closely, and when someone plays as long as you do, you can't help but see you play. That like I watched so many games, and it's I I, I can't tell you when I saw the name come into my. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it can't be, it can't be. That's and, the small world we live in, isn't it? You know, Ro- you know, and just to talk about that, I mean, you know, Robbie just sent your story. Just say, hey, guys. Just some reading, you know, just so you know, look, you know, look at the the stories that we get, you know, and whether it's a great story about a kid or this or and, you know, to hear your story and your comeback and, you know, how many times you've you probably shouldn't be here. And then but yeah. I'm seeing you here, you know, so, yes, you you're a fan of mine. But I read that story. My I, I made my I wouldn't make them. I'm like, hey, I want my daughter, my wife. I'm like, I want you to just read this. You know, I'm like, just 
sit back, take a, you know, just take a read and just let it soak in, you know, and, you know, only be, you know, the year that we're having and things like that, I go, and he has this podcast. And I, the funny thing is, is when I just, I wanted to just say, Hey, Hey, how's it going? You have a fan. And I didn't expect you to go, Hey, what's up? You know, like, I'm like, Oh my God, he's actually texting. I'm like, Holy shit. How did he get that so fast? I'm like, is this like directly to his phone? So yep. it was just, a, it was just a, it, it, you know, it, it was obviously um, a great connection for us. And, you know, you've, you've just in the, the, I haven't met you yet in the little, you've touched us. So, you know, just what, what you're doing is fantastic. And, you know, I understand there's, um, you know, just happen to be able to openly talk to you because now we're fans of yours, man. I know you, you didn't have, you know, you, you have your struggles, you have your jerseys, but now we're a fan of life, right? That's right, man. We're a fan That's of right, life. Man. So I'm, I'm happy to see that you're doing well. Um, I know it's, it's a long road, but we're here for you. You know, so uh, hey, if you need anything, reach out. We'll do our best to help. I Hey, I really appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, it, it has been a long road, but I never made it. You know, I did try to do recovery for like 10 years. I never even got close to a year. And I always knew that if I could get to a year, something would be different. Uh, and what that difference is now is, you know, guys like yourself and Robbie Knesserick and, and the, the community of hockey, the, the players, the fans, the, everybody that keeps me accountable on a daily basis. And it makes my, my job of keeping myself accountable a lot easier. And I'll tell you when I did the first episode of the podcast with absolutely no direction, no guests, no, nothing, no technology. It was horrible. It used to be, it was, it had a different name before. And, I just started talking and the minute that I posted that and I knew that as soon as one person listened to it, uh, I hadn't, I now had a job to remain honest um, and transparent. And I always said, you know, if I'm struggling or if something happens, I'll be the first one to tell people because that's the way it is. And, and since I made that decision, my life's been a hell of a lot easier, man. I feel like a, a weight is lifted off my shoulder uh, and, you know, uncovering all the, the tragedies that I have in this last year, I, I wake up every single day knowing how lucky I truly am um, through all the suicide attempts, the overdoses, everything. And I really feel that I'm, I'm here for a reason and that there's a bigger purpose. And it's not me. It's the it's the big the big picture and uh, meeting yourself like tonight and, and hopefully one day uh, in, in actually in person, like all these great people I've met. I'm like, oh, it's true. I would love to meet and sit down, go golf, whatever. Uh, hopefully we can do that one day soon. And, and I can't say how much I truly appreciate this, man. I, from the bottom of my heart, well, I'm up to the band, man. you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And the minute we can cross borders, uh, I guarantee you we're, we're going to be connecting. So, you know, like I said, you know, your, your life doesn't start until you retire. You know, you retired that life. Welcome to the new life. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, I, I, I love that. I love seeing that you're well. Um, I love the, I love the sweatshirts. We'll be, I know we'll be purchasing. I purposely held off the website to my kids because I'm like, cause they're going to, just going to go buy stuff. I'm like, can just hold off. Just like, give it, you know, give it some time, you know, like, <laughs> so that's you're, you're going to see some, 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 uh, some sweatshirt movement in the, in the next few weeks. So that's awesome, uh, man. Yeah. cool. Hey, Smoke, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And, My uh, pleasure. Say hi to the family and say thanks to the family uh, for, for reading the story. I appreciate it. Have a good I night, will. Mike. Yeah, you too. Be good. Wow. That was awesome. I almost want to drop an F-bomb, but I stopped swearing on my podcast. My guests are more than welcome to swear. Uh, I'm just choosing not to anymore because I was suggested maybe try it. And everybody knows if like 
people know that like over the last year I used like cannabis uh, as part of my recovery journey. Uh, I think we're past a month now where I haven't even touched that either. And it's really, you know, it's just about giving myself a chance. And I've taken a lot of flack from people in hockey that, you know, support the cannabis movement and everything else. They're like, oh, I'm disappointed in this. Well, forget it. I'm doing what's right for me. And I've never felt better in my life. But I always do say that everything that I did in this last year had its purpose. And I'm not sure that I'm here without doing all those little things. And again, it's a progression. I never put any pressure on myself to be like, hey, I have to be this way and stop doing this. And I just started to enjoy life. And start listening to my heart in which I, man, I can't tell you. I just never did that. I, I believed that my heart was no good and my mind was no good. I was no good and I never had the answers. And what I found out is that when I shut up and listen to myself, I have a lot of the answers in inside. And what those answers were is get honest, reach out, share your story, get help when you need it and stop pretending to be something you're not. And it feels unbelievable to be able to wake up every single day and not care what people think of me because I don't have to worry what people think about me. If they wanna judge me on my past, go ahead, go ahead. I'll be the first one to tell you that I was a mess, that I screwed up, that I made terrible choices, that I was mentally ill, addicted, everything. You name it, I did it. But if I live in that life and I keep judging myself on my past, well, guess what? I will continue to live there. So I forgave myself. There's still some amends that I maybe need to make, not even maybe, that I certainly need to make when I get the opportunity. You're damn right I will. But I'm not going to sit here and wallow in my own misery when I know that I can put one foot in front of the other every single day and I can actually lead by example to those out there who are still struggling, who felt the same way that I did with no hope, no desire to even get out of bed, no desire to live. And I get, if, if anybody wanted to take my phone for one day and see the amount of messages and stuff I get in, and I'm not saying this because I'm not complaining, I take great pride in this and I hold it near and dear to my heart and I love it. But what it's made me realize is that I was never alone. I really was never alone. Multiple people. I'm talking in the hundreds of people, maybe even close to a thousand people have reached out to me in the last year with similar stories. We all have our story. We all have our journey. But I'm here to say that you're never alone. If you're struggling, reach out to us. I'm not a professional, but we have professionals. Reach out to Sandra, Sandra at PuckSupport.com. If you want to talk to me, best way to do it, Brady at PuckSupport.com or... As you heard from Smoke, Brian Smolinski, get on the Puck Sport website. It comes straight to my phone instantaneously. My phone's always on silent. It was kind of a fluke that I saw that. I forgot to say that. But I will, I will get back to everybody. Maybe not immediately. If it's emergency and you need help, call 911. Call someone that you're close to. There's no shame in it. If you need to go get help, if you need to say, hey, I can't do this on my own. There's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame in that. If I would have done that years ago, then I probably wouldn't have went through all of that turmoil, you know, being able to realize that I can't do this on my own, you know, take off those masks that I was wearing. It was always a different mask. Like, oh, I'm going to be this guy today. I'm going to be this guy today. I'm going to be this guy today. I'm not doing that anymore. 
not doing that anymore. Before I go though, I will say that if you are struggling and you're one of the people like I was that sat there in self-pity, poor me, complaining, like that will get you nowhere. I can only say, it got me nowhere is what I should say. And I firmly believe that it's the worst thing that we can do. If you're surrounded by negative people, get rid of them. If you're surrounding yourself with friends that constantly are pulling you in negative directions, guess what? Get rid of them. You don't have to feel bad like you're leaving people behind because why the hell would you want to stay there? Rise yourself up. I know that I'm, I'm going up in this direction. I'm not doing it for me. I don't do any of this for myself. I do get something personally back for it, but I'm not sharing my story and doing the podcast and starting puck support and everything else for myself. I'm doing this so that I can show people that you can get from the bottom back up, climb up, and I'm bringing as many people with me as I can. So get on the team. We have unlimited roster spots here at puck support. It doesn't matter if you're a hockey player, coach, parent, you need support. You need friendship. Guess what? We'll find it for you. I got friends in hockey everywhere. That's what I found out. New ones, old ones. We got you hundred percent. You're not alone. You're never alone. Thank you to Brian Smolinski. Big shout out to Rob Knesserick for connecting us. What a great guy. Remember you have, let me check two hours and 10 minutes to bid on the book. Let me quickly check to see where we're at for all our live viewers. It was at $500 before the show started, which is pretty awesome. Thank you again to Danny and all the kids. We're sitting at $500. Ryan Boucher or Boussier, my reading's not the greatest. $500 right there, going to support mental health and addiction in hockey. Guys, support Pride Tape at Pride Tape on Instagram. Follow Puck Support at Puck Support, PuckSupport.com. If you want to get some of this swag, use promo code Mental Health. You're going to get 10% off. We also have a pro, uh, promo code Probert. It's also going to get you 10% off. So check it out. Bid on the book. And we also have a Doug Gilmore jersey coming up. Signed Doug Gilmore jersey coming up for auction, courtesy of Team 93 Marketing. Lots of great comments coming in. I don't have time to get to them. I got stuff to do tonight. Thank you all for watching. If you're listening on audio, please rate and review, subscribe to the YouTube channel, whatever you got to do. Thank you all so much. Thank you. I am so grateful. Thank you, Brian Smolinski. Hey guys, be kind, get grateful, be grateful and have a great day. If you so choose.